Well, howdy. So I know a lot of churches at this point do the meet and greet, you know, stand up and shake a few hands and hug a few next thing, but most of our team find that extremely annoying. So we decided just to mix that part of the service completely. But I do, I, really, I'm just overwhelmed with some of you guys that drove like 3,000 hours to get here. And so it just feels like I've got a family in here. We love and, uh, you. What's that? We, we love, love you. you. Yeah, I love you too. No <laughs> God. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, wow, big things are going to happen. I'm excited. I've been at peace all morning, just feeling good. And I'm thirsty. We're going to do, do a series called Thirsty over the summer. And like, like Katie mentioned, we're going to meet every four weeks between now and our big launch in the fall. This was the soft opening. So this is just to make sure that our microphones work. That's really, you guys are just guinea pigs. That's all you are. Um, but over the summer, we're going to do a series called Thirsty, and at the end of this message, we'll talk about what people are thirsty for. But I want to tell you about a king. There's a king, there used to be a great king, and, and this guy, he loved the outdoors. So he had this castle, and he had lots of woodlands around his castle, and he spent the vast majority of his, his time out in those woods. So he, he loved to go fishing. In fact, all, all his people called him the Fisher King. And uh, he, he would just go spend hours and hours fishing. He would go hunting. He would go out with his men camping and build fires and burn roast pig. And uh, he would even sneak out at night. He would dress as a peasant and sneak out just to sleep in the woods. And one night, this king was out in the woods and he had built a fire. And uh, all of a sudden, out of the fire came the voice of God, almost like the burning bush in Moses. And it said, my son, I have a gift for you. <laughs> And as he, come, as he approaches the fire, he sees inside this cup. And he says, I'm and this voice, the voice of God says, I'm bestowing upon you a great treasure. He says, I'm giving you my holy grail, the cup of Christ, that people for, for decades and centuries have searched for. And with this cup, everyone who drinks from this cup will be healed. Everyone who has water poured on them from this cup will be restored. And obviously the king's very excited. And he thinks, he starts envisioning what this is going to look like. And he thinks people will come from all over the world. If I have this cup, sick people from all over my realm will come. Not only that, but people from countries far and wide will come and visit me. They will pay homage to me. They will come and my kingdom's borders will expand. And it will become incredible. And he becomes excited. And so he goes to the fire. But as he reaches for the cup, the cup turns to ashes in his hand. And it just leaves him burned. It just burns his hand. And it's gone. And he cries out in pain. And for the, in the days and weeks that follow, these burns and these, these blistering sores start to spread on his body. And they start to, to move up his arm. Just slowly, day by day, inching up his arm. And everything he does, he, he soaks in cold water, he applies ointments, he applies herbs. There's nothing he can do to stop the pain the discomfort and the ugliness that is set in on him. And so he starts a crusade. He starts going everywhere, all around his land. He searches high and, high and wide, far and wide. And he's looking for the cup of Christ. And he's looking everywhere. And he conquers villages and he conquers nations looking for the cup of Christ, but it evades him. He never finds it. Later on in life, this these burns and sores have climbed up his body and covered him from neck down so badly that he can just barely move and he exists in perpetual pain. And he just lays in bed and moans. But even during that time, he sends out his best and brightest all across the globe trying to find the cup of Christ. 
One day he's laying in bed moaning when the court jester is sitting outside. The court jester hears him moaning and hears his cries of anguish. And he goes in and he sees the king. And at this point, the sores are moving up his face and covering his forehead. And his lips are chapped and parched. And he's, he, he, he comes to the king and the king can only get one word out. Water. Water. And so the fool goes to the kitchen and he, he, he grabs a, a glass, a cup, and, and he goes and he fills it with water and he takes it to the king. And he, he hands it to the king in bed and, and the king tries to reach but can't so he just leans forward and, and the jester turns the cup up and goes to, for the king to drink. And all of a sudden he looks and he sees the cup of Christ in his hand. And as the water touches the king's lips, the sores just immediately start to disappear. All the way down his neck, all the way down his chest and legs and arms, just almost instantly, they vanish. His youth is restored. He sits up in bed. He's freaking out. He says, what, what did you do? What, what is this? And he sees the cup. He says, you, you found it. You've, how, how did you find What did you do? How did you find this? And, and, and the, the fool says, he says, your majesty, he says, I, I don't know. I, I, I just don't know. And then he says these words that I want you to key on. He says, I only knew that you were thirsty. For some reason, it's not cooperating. I only knew that you were thirsty. And I think the moral of the story is real clear, real fast. And when I think of Daylight Church, and I think of our community, and I think of the globe, I, 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 I think of, I want a church that 10 years from now, when people say to us, why? Why do you do this? Why did you start a church? Why did you meet in a theater that seats 97 people? Why do you, why do you give backpacks away at schools? Why do, you, why do you help girls go to prom that can't afford to go to prom? Why, why do you help human travel? Why do you do this? When someone asks our motive, I pray it's something like this. We just knew you were thirsty. We just could see that there's a world that's hurting. We, it, it was just in our vision that you had needs. That's why. One of my favorite authors, S.D. Gordon, wrote these words. He said, uh, the chief letter in man's alphabet is the one after H, spelled and written with a large capital. Of course, what's the letter after H? It's I. The interesting thing is he wrote this in 1913. And he talked about how the world around him was just being sucked into this narcissism and this, this selfish absorption. And I was thinking today, I've got an iPhone, I have an iPad, and my email address is at me.com. I mean, this is a different world than S.D. Gordon lived in. But it's not the world I want to cater to. I don't want my life to be about me, and I don't think you do either. I think you realize there's a lot more to life than that. Philippians 2.23 says this. It says, make my joy complete by being like-minded. And it's talking about Jesus. It says, think like Jesus. It says, having the same love, being in one spirit and of one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. In my opinion, this is the goal of life. Is that I'm, I'm out of here, I'm gone, I'm not what's important, but they are. They meaning God and they meaning you. You guys, the people I encounter on a daily basis. It's not about me anymore. It's about something bigger than me. And the neat thing is, God has programmed it into the system 
where a, a, a non-me mentality, it just works. Where's Abby? Abby's back here. My sister Abby moved to help us, help us start the church this year, and she just got a job at the place downstairs. It's called the place downstairs. It's a, it's a restaurant here in town that has a place downstairs, and they made a separate restaurant. Now, she can go into that work, and they're very demanding. Like, when you hand people food, you hand it like this and not like this because they don't want to see your armpits. I mean, they're very, very <laughs> clear on their expectations for her. She's got to know every item and every menu piece and what's involved and be able to ask questions and can you separate food. And she, I mean, she's, she has to take tests, and if she fails, she's fired. She gets two chances. But she can go into that work with a couple of, of different attitudes or mentalities. Let's say she goes into that work thinking, I want to make money. I want to rise in my career. Maybe I'll make manager someday. I'm going to go in there and do what it takes so that I can succeed. That's one way, and she might succeed in that way. But let's say she goes in there and she says they are thirsty for something. And what they're thirsty for is a worker who will work stinking hard and memorize the menu, and I'm going to be able to go make clients feel great when they come to their restaurant, and I'm going to help them propel their business, and I'm going to help them in the kitchen every chance I get, and I'm going to do everything I can to make all my coworkers' jobs as easy as possible. Now, which employee do you think you want to hire? It's clear. It's the second one. It's a person who is focused on someone else is valuable. In marriage and relationships, if you go into marriage thinking, I'm getting this to satisfy me, forget about it, right? If you're going in thinking, man, I'm just going to be in every single way, I'm going to be happy, and she better do that for me, and she's going to cook and clean and give it to me every time I want it, and so on and so forth, it's not going to be a successful marriage. But if you go in saying, I'm going to serve her, or the woman says, I'm going to serve him, I'm going to make his life great, I'm going to do everything I can. Which one's a valuable spouse? Which one's more valuable, or at least ha ha seems more valuable? I think it's real clear. Kara and I, when we moved here, we and I see that Kara got to make it. Hey, babe, that's my <laughs> wife up in the corner. If you don't know her, when we moved here, we've got a faucet in our kitchen, and there's two there's two settings on the faucet. One is like a high pressure spray that's got multiple lines of water. And one is one little spray that I, to me is not very powerful. So I like the multi-head spray. That's the one I want. And there's a switch that goes between. So I've been, I've been living there remodeling the house for a long time by myself. So she shows up, and for whatever reason, every time I go to pull that thing out, it's on the spray that I don't like. And I think, gosh. So I have to hit the little switch and go to the switch I want. And the first couple times, I was like, oh, okay, so she likes the other one. But for whatever reason, times three, four, five, six, and beyond, I thought, why can't she stick and hit that switch when she gets done? <laughs> That's what I thought, really. And so, to the point where one day I was already in a lousy mood, and I get there and it's on the wrong setting, and I flip it, and, I, and I'm thinking, golly. And then I think to myself how thankful I am she's in my house. Just, I mean, because the times, the, the whole time I was here, it, it was, just wasn't fun. I mean, there's just nothing fun about laying and watching a movie at night by yourself and so she's there she's home and I think you know what what I ought to do is flip it back to her setting every time I'm done and I've noticed that sometimes now for whatever reason she flips it to my setting <laughs> but here's the point now I, and I don't know why I don't know how this works but now every time I reach for that little faucet head I feel great 
I'm a man. You know what I'm saying? I, I pull that thing out of there and I just think, this is good. Instead of... And what a stupid thing to reach for a faucet and have this moment in your day where life makes sense. But you see the difference. It's a me versus them mentality. Who's, who's important? You know, women say, well, why do you always leave the seat up? Guys say, well, why don't you put the seat down? You know, if you'll go in, if you'll have a contest between you of who can out-love out, out the other one, you won't have any issues. And the, the idea of this, this selfishness pervades everything. Your church and how you serve church, how you handle your finances, going to school. If it's all about you, yeah, you may get a degree, but you'll also get a cancer inside. But if you live for something bigger than you, something outside of you, it's a concept called altruism. And uh, a lot of people aren't familiar with it. Kick back to that slide that says altruism. A lot of people aren't familiar with this phrase, and, and we'll get into it in, in weeks in the future. But altruism is the idea of selfless love. It means doing something for someone with no strings attached, even at great sacrifice. And, and, and the reason the, the snail picture is up there is because Really, altruism is, is virtually, if not completely, impossible for mankind. It's just almost impossible to do something good with no other motive. If I, like when I do the faucet thing, I do it because I love her, but I also, in some small way, hope she'll recognize that. I hope I'll get something out of it. When I give to charity, I give to charity because I love them, but also because it makes me feel important and valuable and good. And it, it, it's just impossible to be truly altruistic in this world, but it's still the goal. So how do you do that? Because it's like this snail trying to cross the road. Good luck. You know, you can try and try and try, and I just know myself, even in my best moments, there's some serious ugliness there. And so I want to give you a couple tips. Um, grab your Bible if you have one, and, and if you're not used to grabbing a Bible, I am going to ask you to do that every now and then, so try to get you in the habit of bringing one. Um, turn to John 13 with me. Remember, if you have questions, text them now. I'm not going to get upset if you have your phone out. It's John 13, 1 through 7. It says it was just before the Passover feast. And, and this, is, this is the part I want you to key on, the very beginning. It says, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. And then you can read the rest later. But the idea is this. Jesus knew his identity. He knew who he was. He knew where he was going. He knew that he was God in the flesh. Now, if that idea freaks you out, come talk to me, and we can talk about it later, and we will talk about it in sermons in, in the distant future. He knew he was the guy that created the antelope and the aardvark and the orangutan. He was the guy that did it. He spoke and they were. He's the guy that created the laws of quantum physics and the quasars and nebula. He was the guy, the master of the universe. And it says he knew that. And it, it prefaces this situation he finds himself in with that statement, that he knew who he was. And what did he do right after that? Anybody know? He whispered. That's good. Yes. He washed their feet. He washed their feet. In that culture, a rabbi getting up and doing this, was un it was unthinkable. It was disgusting. It was ridiculous. And he got up and washed their feet. That's the God of the universe. He's a God that knows who he is, 
He knows he's master and commander. He knows he's the big dog. And yet, he wants to be with you, close, intimate, cleaning your nastiness up. That's who he is. And so, it may be impossible to be altruistic, but you can definitely head in that direction. And I recommend strongly looking for Jesus, looking to Jesus, seeking him. There you go. <laughs> I saw a thing on Facebook this week. It, it, was a, it was a pack of lions. And they were all, you could tell they were on the prowl. There was something out in front of them and they were going after it. And the, and the caption at the bottom said, surround yourself with people on the same mission you are. And I, it made me think, am I doing that? Am I surrounding myself with people who are headed in the same direction, doing what I want to do with life? And so then that naturally made me ask the question, well, what is that? What is it that I want to do that I want people to surround me and do the same? And, and to me, the answer was very obvious, is I want Jesus. I want to know him. I want to think like him. I want to talk like he talked. I want to help people the way he helped people. I want to have courage, total fearlessness. Like he, I want to smell like the guy. I want to be Jesus. I want to be like him. And so if I'm going to surround myself with people and head in a direction, that's the direction I want to head, is in his direction, the direction of Jesus, finding out who he is and becoming like him. Charles Spurgeon has this quote, and it's a, it's a bit of a long quote, but I'm going to read it to you. He says, when our thoughts of Jesus are expanded and elevated, we obtain right ideas upon other matters. In the light of his love and atoning sacrifice, we see the depth of the degradation from which such a redeemer has lifted us, and we hate with all our hearts the sins which pierced such an altogether lovely one and made it needful for the Lord of life to die. Forming some adequate estimate of what Jesus has done for us, our gratitude grows, and with our gratitude, our love, while love compels us to consecration, and consecration suggests heroic, self-denying actions, then we are bold to speak for him and ready, if needs be, to suffer for him. We could give all we have without so much as dreaming that we had made a sacrifice. When we see Jesus and what he's done and who he is, anything we could give up becomes very trivial. When we recognize that the God of the universe who created quantum physics is also the God that comes and washes my feet and cleans up my junk, something exciting happens. And it means, you know, there's, there's far more to life than me just having a good time. There's far more to life than pursuing me and my way. Hebrews says it like this. Sorry, go ahead and back that up. Go ahead. Hebrews says we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. So the idea is this. If you want to be altruistic, you want, you want to live a life that is outside of you, Jesus is the one who, he's not only the thing you look at, he's the one who does it in you. All your attempts will fail because they will always be selfish attempts. You cannot make yourself good. Even in trying to become good, you become something ugly because you want to become something good for yourself. You need somebody on the outside. And that's what Jesus does. He comes in, he fixes you, he cleans you up. And then there's a second thing 
But there's a, there's a movie clip I want to show you that will highlight what the second thing is. But when you know Jesus and you follow him, there's a, there's a definitive work he does in your life in one area. And this clip should, should give you a pretty good idea what that, what, what that area is. An enemy location was also hit nearby. The wounded had abandoned their posts looking for help. Their arrival at our camp would compel us to make the most important decision of our lives. A decision that would defy the Bushido code of honor and shame. Captain Gordon, I forbid you to give comfort and aid to the enemy. Major, those are wounded, dying human beings. They're no harm to us. Ernie, get back to your own men. Someone please get me some water. Could someone please get me some water?
So I think anybody that knows anything about Christianity at all can see the attitude and spirit of Jesus reflected in that in that clip. I I almost want to say it like this. If there was one test, like if you wanted to examine your life and say, am I a follower of Jesus? Do I, do I really follow him? Is he mine and I am his? If, you, if there was one litmus test, and I, I know there's lots of ways to look at it, but I want to say if there was one litmus test, it would be this, that you notice thirsty people. That you constantly notice thirsty people. That you are aware, just <coughs> acutely aware at all times, at all places, that there are people around you and you are mentally and emotionally invested in their lives. Because if you're completely consumed with selfishness and, and mentally and emotionally invested in your own life and that's it, lots and lots of people are going to walk past you all day, every day, without even a second thought. But when, you, when you're in touch with Jesus and you're starting to think like Him, you're starting to see the world through His eyes, people become... It'd be like walking down the road and seeing a $1,000 bill laying on the street. That's the kind of thing He wants to do in your life. And there have been very few people that I've ever encountered that I think even start to touch on that. And that's, that's the work I hope Jesus will continue to do in me. Is that constantly I'll see people who are emotionally thirsty. They're socially thirsty. They're physically thirsty. They're intellectually thirsty. And my thought will be, how can I help? What can I do? That's the Holy Grail. That's the healing. That's the miracle. And, when, and, and, and as it happens in our lives and it happens in other people's lives and it spreads all over the globe, things change. Orphans have beds to sleep in. Divorces are averted. People who have been abused their whole lives suddenly have freedom when people start noticing people. That's the work I hope God will do in us and through us at Daylight Church. Jesus said these words. He said, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He is what you focus on to see it. He is the one that gives it to you, fills you up, and lets it overflow into other people's lives. He is the answer when it comes to sickness and decaying and charred flesh and, and ugliness. Jesus is the answer.